Welcome to the Discuss and Discuss podcast, where we'll talk about topics that expand our mind. Today, we'll be talking about the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. I'm Derek. I'm Kevin. <laughs> Got him all while he's thinking. Uh, <laughs> that was a nice perfect timing. I totally spaced <laughs> out. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> hey, don't worry about it. We're professionals. We're professionals. Uh, well, let's kind of get into it. So a little bit of background of Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. It's a deep dive into how we in today's society view money. While there are about a total of 18 topics and points that the author covers in this discussion, I just wanted to touch on probably 75% of those. So just about 10 of them. We're not going to go over everything. If you want to learn about all the points, feel free to read the book. I think it's very eye-opening. I highly, rec highly recommend it. Or contact you directly. Your phone number. Oh, is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, just call me up. Call me up. I'll tell you all the points. Yeah. So let's dive into the very first one. This one I found very, <laughs> it's something that I think we all kind of know, but don't want to um, accept is that no one is crazy. Our background and our upbringing molds our foundational views of money. So if you grew up poor, it changes your views on money. If you grew up rich, or even if you had, you know, certain cultural significances that also shapes our money. So because of how you view money does not mean that you yourself are crazy or that anyone else is crazy. And we all know people who are incredibly frugal, frugal, you know, they hate wasting their penny pinchers. We also know a ton of people on the other spectrum who view money as just a piece of paper. They can literally crumple it up, crumple it up, throw it away, totally forget about it. It's just really nice to read and understand that all of our views are normal. <laughs> you know, for me, it's helped me realize like, okay, the things that I view money as is not crazy. It's totally normal. And like other people also have the same sense. Well, I don't know. Like, yeah. Do you have a... yeah, for sure. It's so we have expectation based on our experience of money. So my brother has gone through, I don't even know how many cars. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a good example. <laughs> so his viewpoint on cars now, like he used to own like really good, like expensive cars, like sports cars, like STI, an Evo, S2K, just big car like you know pricey cool cars mm -hmm. and he spent a lot of money on them like really he was a car guy back then but then like they always break down or whatever so he has to cough up a ton <laughs> of money just to fix it or maintain to the point where like he downgraded to like um a honda fit and then <laughs> yeah. first he had a honda element and that was fine and then he was able to sell it for a decent price and then he got a honda fit <laughs> and then like he didn't really research the Honda Fit too well because the Honda Fit couldn't pass emissions and then they had it was missing a catalytic converter. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, my point is he's gone through so much struggle with cars that now he finds that cars are a waste of money. You can dissect like the other nuances like, oh, it's it's kind of like a personal problem for him or whatever, whatever. To hit to drive the main point home, no one is crazy. It's like his viewpoint on cars now was affected by his experience his experience going through so many cars so we can't really thrust our expectations of of what we know about money onto other people and expect them to meet those expectations i could say oh yeah you can just buy like you know a cheap honda civic and you know you'll be fine it's a long lasting car it's got some durability cheaper and it makes sense to me but then it wouldn't make sense to him or because he's like overall cars suck <laughs> He's also kind of a special breed in that he's cursed. Like every car he gets, there's something wrong with it or something happens to the car. Uh, so he's he's kind of a special breed. But it is, again, his experience with cars that has shaped his view on the value of cars. So um, you're absolutely correct. It's, another... it's difficult to compare. You know? Yeah, and another weird thing is that I have this coworker and she still does not have a car. And she has another coworker drive her to work and then... Every day she has to ask someone to drive her home. And if people say no, she has to Uber home. I don't know too much about the details behind this mentality, but like it is kind of interesting to kind of, you know, try and reverse engineer like that thought process. It's like, huh, is it not in like, is it not an, a hindrance to bother your coworker to drive you to work all the time or to yeah. ask for a ride home? That's a very, so you brought up two thoughts. I also had a coworker who I believe to this day doesn't have a car. However, 
he grew up in big cities, so he's a Chicago boy. He also lived in, uh, I think it's Munich, Munich, Germany, as well as New York and like a lot of like big city places where you actually don't need a car. Having a car there is actually more of a, a liability than it is anything else. And you're able to get to where you need. And that's actually his whole thing. He's like, if I need to go somewhere kind of far, I just take the bus. I take public transit. If it's close, like I normally, and this is also kind of like a, a mentality thing for us that we may not be able to understand, but he loves living in the city where everything's just like a walk away. He's never needed a car. And there are a few times where like he's asked for a ride because it's slightly more convenient. However, he doesn't bother people about it. You know, he's like, all right, whatever, I'll just walk or I'll just take the bus. It's not that big a deal. The other thought that you just um, brought up was the fact that we don't know her background and maybe she just can't afford a car or she's afraid to drive. And that's another thing to try to practice a lot of time when we can't understand why someone seems crazy to her, right? Like when they're like, oh yeah, like I don't like driving cars. Like, why is that? We always ask why, 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 why? And and that's okay. Like it, they're going to have their own reasons. We have to remember like because of who we are and how we grew up, we value, like you mentioned, public transit a lot differently than other people, as well as like our own mode of, mode of exp transportation because to us having a car is a lot more convenient. However, to other people, it costs a lot more. Like, you know, a tank gallon now is like 420. To buy a ticket for the bus is still, I think around $2. And so it makes more sense to them to save money, but also, you know, be on buses time schedule. Yeah, for sure. And part of me kind of wishes that I had the same mentality or value, I guess, because cars do cost money. <laughs> it's the only thing you have to pay <laughs> to continue using because you don't yeah. just, you sure, you buy the car, but then now you got to continuously pay for it to, to use it. You got insurance, you got gas, and then you got car maintenance. And it's just like, wow, this, this is costly. <laughs> so whoever, so, you know, even I don't know the total cost of taking an uber every day or whatever but i'm curious what that is probably pricey anyways yeah, i think it's I... like 20 dollars a ride or something oh really sheesh yeah um, depending on where you're going too but every day though because you don't have a car <laughs> I, I, don't, well, I don't think she does that like she somehow gets a ride like every day so kind of interesting it's also like another thing that i value too i don't want to bother somebody to to kind of you know to drive to pick me up or to drop me off like i don't part of me wants to not be a hindrance to other people yeah are you the this same this is a really this is actually a really good segue to our next point that i want to okay. bring up is luck and risk this point the author speaks about everyone's essentially where we grew up and how we grew up we can't choose it unfortunately we can't choose when or where we're birthed or who we're birthed by an interesting point to make to try to expand on to try to break down because some people could be born uh, sorry born in really poor areas with a really unstable environment for us i think we're kind of in the middle of the pack so we're not like super wealthy or anything you know we don't we weren't raised by money we don't have what i like to call old money generational money like we don't have that we've saw i should have been rich <laughs> we we've also like we, we've seen a lot of our parents struggle with money and you know from nothing to what they have now so i would say we're kind of in the middle of the pack where we're like we know what it means to be poor i remember you know living with my parents in my grandparents basement for a long time because of whatever and then us moving around a bunch because you know we would buy a house uh, stay in it for a little bit and sell the house to build up equity and all this other stuff like that was difficult back then and as you know like i stayed with you for a little bit um as a kid because i guess difficult to to have the money to you know have a home over your heads at the point but my parents did it in a very specific way i won't get into it but you know the, how they did it was difficult but all that's to say, again, we cannot choose how we're born and who we're, we're born by. And that, of course, shapes the way we view money as well, because it establishes a certain amount of risk in our viewpoint. For us, like you mentioned, we view cars. It, cars are a huge liability. However, because we also value our time in the way that we were raised, time is also money, is, is something that my dad always says. So... We have like a family motto uh, kind of where we ask ourselves, is this a waste of time? Is it a waste of money? Is it a waste of gas? So you can kind of tell like where our family's values kind of lied at first because we were trying to establish a stable foundation. You know, we didn't have that strong money yet is where I'm trying to get at. So it's all luck where you're raised and born and then 
from there, it's also how you view your risk. Once you have a house, in, in my opinion, you know, like that's a huge liability. It's a huge risk to try to lose. And so you work even harder to try to maintain that and stuff like that. There's a story actually while I was reading, uh, while I was working on this outline, I, I saw a TikTok that came into play. And so it, it fits this really well where a guy went to college and he sat next to another person and over the phone, you know, this, this other guy was on arguing with his he was kind of overhearing it during the lecture and stuff and then at one point the guy on the phone turns over to ask him like hey can i ask you a question he's like sure go for it he asks the the tiktoker uh when you guys go on vacations what boat do you guys take and the tiktoker goes uh excuse me the guy replies he says well sorry yacht uh, I, I didn't mean to assume that it's just a boat. And the TikToker goes, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is that you assumed that I had a boat in general. My family barely even goes on vacation, so I don't know even know why you would talk about that uh, or, you know, why you would ask that. And that was a very interesting TikTok to listen to because of the dynamic between those two showcases the look that we have. One person again, doesn't even realize that most people don't have a boat and or go on vacations in general. So we can kind of assume that he was lucky and you know quote unquote lucky and born into a family with money to be able to afford those things on the other hand the other person you know he was able to establish that he's like dude you know i, I don't have a boat at all <laughs> like why would we own a boat because we barely go on vacations and when we go on vacations it's like maybe something in state or something that's like you know it doesn't require a boat so i found that so fascinating to read to watch while I was reading this book. Very interesting. So your three, what is it, values, I guess, that was drilled into <laughs> you is time, gas, and money? Money. Time, gas, money. and money. Very interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Does it cost money? Does it cost time? Does it cost gas? And so because of those three things, like my mindset is molded into a very specific way where I try to do things as efficiently as possible because that saves me time. Most of the time it saves me money. And if I don't have to go anywhere, obviously it saves me gas. No wonder. No wonder it's annoying for me. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. Elaborate. Elaborate. <laughs> well, first off, you don't like IMAX. So... <laughs> <laughs> we can't even can't even watch a good movie <laughs> in IMAX. So that kind of like explains it a little bit that you find it a waste of money because the experience isn't good enough to to meet your standards of you know your three three values there revolving mm -hmm. around money, which is pretty cool. I don't have any any like values that was drilled into me by my parents. I mean, I lived with you for a bit, but. I wasn't there for like that point in time where you were drilled that. And I had to learn just like other values and develop them on my own. Time is definitely something that I've developed more value toward. So then like if someone's giving me shit or something like that, or they're being inauthentic or like my supervisor is like, you know, they're putting up this inauthentic kind of like vibe. I kind of just call them out on it or I just don't even give them. I, I just zone out on purpose. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Stop wasting my time. Because I'm not here to kind of like play with the game, you know? But <laughs> guess what I'm getting at is, sorry, you were going to say? No, no, no. I was actually going to ask because uh, we have very different, you know, grew up in very different uh, environments. Would you say, though, that you're lucky to have developed those values? There, there was definitely a time where I feel like in a different timeline with the way I came up, came about, like 1,000% could have been a terrible person, like an absolutely rotten, toxic, you wouldn't even want to hang out with me <laughs> type of person. Or, <laughs> <laughs> And I, I honestly, I don't even know if I would even make it this far with a strange upbringing that I had. <laughs> yeah, so like, luck or lucky for, for how it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's why it's so interesting to see like the different ways that we grew up. I also consider myself lucky because, you know, I had parents that were around, taught me a lot of things and continued to support me in all the endeavors that I try to do, as well as uh, lets me be the independent, the independent person that I choose to be. It's difficult because, you know, there are a lot of things that I complain about. There's a lot of things that you remind me, you're like, you know, you probably shouldn't complain about that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm luckier than other people to have been raised the way I was, you know, around the, this kind of goes into the next point too. And I'm just going to add this with it, even though my family motto or my family questions, if you will, values is, you know, does it cost or does it, yeah, does it cost time? Does it cost money? Does it, you know, cost gas, whatever, because do we have enough of the next point in this book that I'd like to bring up is 
never enough. This, this idea that you'll never have enough of what you want. There's never enough of time. Let's be honest, right? Like time is limited. There's never going to be enough of money because the more you have, the more you're going to continue to want. And, and, and again, in my case, gas. Like, is there enough gas? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, never enough is definitely something that echoes throughout my brain for days on end just because I, I don't make a lot of money. You know, I, I make minimum wage. And then even if I got like a $2 or $3 raise, it's still not enough. And that not enough aspect comes into like, there's so much I want to do still or accomplish or buy or like move maybe. And even that $3 raise would not help me do that. So it's a limiter, maybe even like a defeater of motivation for me, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a good point. And it's tough because that's also, you know, never enough is a social comparison. And you're always going to continue to compare yourself to the next level is what also is something that I've come into play. Again, we're coming from very different backgrounds. I, I work in tech and have worked my way up to where I'm at now in the last seven, eight years. So I get paid pretty well you know, good benefits. And, and I can't complain about that. But to me, because now I also have a house, two dogs, wife, and hopefully a family in the future. Like I feel, I still feel like I don't have, I was actually just reminded the other day by another one of our cousins, you know, who is helping mentor me in shifting certain mindsets. Um, so shout out to him. <laughs> I don't know, but he'll listen to this, but yeah, he's helping me shift the way I, I think about what I have and, and stuff. And he, he mentioned and put into perspective for me is the same thing. He's like, well, you know, you have your wife, you have food on the table and you have a roof over your head. To you, you may not have enough, but to others, you have more than it because you also have a job that you can afford to do that. It's true. And again, social comparison is something that's been ingrained in us since we were born, since we go to school. The kids that we become friends with, we'll compare to them. We'll compare our lives to those that we see in social media. And so, oh, a really good person that I like to bring up here is Alex Hermosi. He's, you know, an entrepreneur. He's big in the the space because he was, he's rich. He, he, he built his wealth off of uh, gym owners and really making their um, source of income like super efficient. And he continues to just like buy businesses, build them up and then like, you know, like does like really insane stuff. And he's also uh, big into fitness, of course. So he's like super ripped. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember seeing an interview with him where he's okay telling people his net worth. And currently I believe his net worth is like $250 million or something Dude, like that. I think side kind of a side note on that it's i think people should talk more about wages and how much they make oh. because in a way it helps us help each other without being so secretive and like manipulative or maniacal or i think that type of behavior of hiding wages from one another develops that type of behavior of being spiteful or resentful or like something more toxic than someone that can be kind and like helpful because like if we all do the same thing and we compare our wages we're like wait you're making that much money? What the heck? Why am I only getting paid this much money? And it's like empowering for each other to help one another get more pay for whatever reason. And, yeah. and that, what, yeah, yeah, and one person is not being shafted for doing the same amount of work. It's like, yeah, that dude's making less money. We're doing the same thing. You know, it's, it's really shitty because that's your teammate. Like you're, you're doing the same thing and sure you get paid more and good for you in a way is like that person's making less money than you don't don't you feel kind of bad because they're literally doing the yeah. same thing as you <laughs> so it's it's interesting that you bring that up because i 100 percent agree with you uh, i've had it in the past where i i had a coworker after we had like an acquisition in my old company we acquired a different no we were acquired by a different company uh meshed together with like a, another company that they own which is like this whole thing it was it was a huge mess first off <laughs> but i come to found out like you know someone in my same level and their company was getting paid almost like 30%. It made me mad. I That's told a them, lot. You know, like I was, I, I'm very transparent with how much I get paid. And I'll tell you guys right now, like right now, uh, I just got bumped up to 99,000. That's because again, I have eight years in the industry. I know what I'm doing. I've also built so much experience and connection and mental wherewithal to be able to like withstand certain responsibilities. And, you know, that's something I believe. I also tend to push that onto other people so that they can also have the same amount of raise or whatever, same amount of pay. And yeah, man, just gaslight me to success, please. <laughs> like, 
if I could, you know, like I tell you, like go into tech, you know, put your foot in the door, do like customer support so that you're an awesome person and move up. However, let me just also preface this is that corporations only look after themselves, no matter what, like, even if they tell you that you're part of the family, quote unquote, we're a huge red flag, you should, you should focus on yourself and continue to do what's best for you. You're only a number in this whole game. So don't feel like your loyalty to the company will continue to matter. It it just doesn't. And sometimes you might get lucky. Right? Like we talked about it. You might be in a put it you might be put in a situation where you do have a really good boss who fights for you and stuff, and that's good for you. But the majority of people out there continue to fight for yourself. Continue to be transparent and continue to help each other because if you lift one other person up, it'll continue to lift you up. Right. Like you're like, hey, I make X amount, and like you should make X amount. Then once they make X amount, you also gain that experience to make even higher than Bro, like so many things you just hit me with. So like, as far as the corporation thing, like, no one's going to care about you more than you care about yourself. So you can't thrust that sort of expectation onto a company that's trying to, like, make profit. <laughs> yeah. And it's insane because, like, even our wages that we get right now, I mean, I know you're on salary, but I'm still on wage. And it's it sucks because you can look at it as if it's linear, but it's not really linear because I have to ask for a raise. I have to ask for someone's opinion if I'm even worthy enough for a raise. Now, depending on how jaded you are in your opinion, like your bosses or supervisor or whatever, whoever ha can handle the raise, their, if their opinion of the value of what you do is already jaded or skewed in some sort of way, they're never going to give you a raise. So I hate this idea of people it's it's so weird because like yesterday when i was catching up with with a cousin and he was like hey the worst they can do is say no right like i hate that because <laughs> it's like it's like they are gonna say like i can ask yeah sure but then like once they say no now i'm not getting what i want like now i'm not getting that raise to you know to better my lifestyle or whatever oh shoot <laughs> i lost my train of thought i lost my well, train of thought here's, here's the more important thing too is that you're not getting what you feel like you deserve because you put in the time and effort to, to deserve a raise and that's the more important thing and something that my old coworker same thing she works so hard she worked harder than i did like to be quite honest with you, like at that job and when we started comparing our workload and, you know, we were trying to establish like a, a unification of our two departments. I just found out like she did 30% like your whole, you know, she did way more than I did and gets paid so much, you know, so much more, uh, so much little. So, <laughs> so much, much less. less. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so much little. And, just to tie this back into never enough with Alex from OZ. So I started again as an intern like seven, eight years ago at a tech company. Got paid, I think it was like $19 an hour. No, $15 an hour. I got paid $15 an hour and worked my way all the way up here. And since then, I've literally worked for maybe seven different companies because I climbed the ladder through working one job, getting experience there, and then moving on to the next one. Like I, because I don't think, again, companies will care about you in the long term. So it doesn't matter if I stay there in the long term, even if they tell you, like, you're going to get this raise. Like I went from 95000 to 99000 that's a four thousand dollar raise. That sounds amazing, right? Salary wise. But if you break it down, I believe that's like a three to four dollar increase in hourly. So similar to you, it's all it was is just like a small bump up. And again, I'm extremely fortunate. Don't get me wrong, but it's this idea of social comparison. Alex Ramosi again said is very open about his net worth. It's like two hundred something million dollars. And he says the reason why he's okay with it is because he knows that there's a next level up. He knows that there are billionaires out there, and that's what he's striving towards. To him. He feels like he's poor because there's billionaires out there. And of course, to us, right, we think we think he's crazy because it's like, dude, how is it that $200 million at least is not enough? For you? Bro, if I had 250, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's... You know, again, no one's crazy, but that's crazy. <laughs> it, it brings me back to like how it sucks that wage is linear, but not linear. Because back on that vein of you're asking another person to know your value and and to actually accept that value so like you want to raise mm -hmm. but like you got to know what that number is as well and hope that the other person that you're talking to your boss or whatever is going to accept that value so to even know that like another human being can just skyrocket to 250 250 million should should unlock some ideas some uh, unlock some potential i look at these tiktokers or influencers and they're like 16 to 18 and they're making like millions of dollars or 
even if it's not millions of dollars, they're making like 500K or something like that, you know, like a big number, which is insane. But also the bitter side of me would say, man, that sucks, man, because I had this whole entire work tenure bouncing around jobs and I still haven't made that number in my lifetime. I don't think I've even reached 500,000. 500, <laughs> as sad as that sounds. But and it's also inspiration. Like, you know, they, they come in and do what they need to. And as spiteful as we are about it and as jealous as again, it's because we're comparing ourselves to what they have and what we don't have. The next point that I'll get into. Uh, so one more point on never enough that also slides into the next topic here is that attachment is a flawed mindset. And it's something that's very ingrained in us. We cannot, it's very difficult to break is attachment, attachment to our money, attachment to our physical possessions. And job. Uh, and job. You know, like it, it's a, it's attachment to surviving. That's another thing is that it's very difficult to move forward with that. And that's why the next point is about getting, getting wealthy and staying wealthy. So being attached to something can hurt you and can help you because there are a lot of ways to get rich and, you know, attachment. We can also kind of define that with passion, right? Being passionate about what you do and then pushing that to build wealth for you. So that's, again, a way to get rich is just doing what you love. There's so many different ways to get rich. There's, and this book talks about three ways of staying rich, staying wealthy. It's frugality, paranoia, and it's discipline. Those three, it's so fascinating to dive in. My goodness. I, oh, I fail at all three of them. That's why I'm not wealthy. <laughs> It's difficult. It's a difficult <laughs> one, you know, especially how we were raised. Like, if you think yeah, about that, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, frug frugality is interesting because we we grew up poor, sure, but we were never taught how to be frugal. Like, it's we're avoiding cost. We're avoiding how how would you articulate this? Because frugality is something that you kind of have to be conscious of. Like, yeah. it's not always searching for like the cheap thing. It's also maintaining your behavior, keeping that like not letting your habits impulsively take over or not well what am i trying to say here so for us it's actually different so this kind of tied into and i kind of forgot to bring this up in luck and risk because we are actually raised uh to be frugal and to be you know we were poor so we were told to look for the best deals right we were told to not spend too much on this one item because it's not going to matter later because of that and being children we also don't like being told no so when we were told no to being to, to purchasing something that we really want now psychologically in ourselves we're like we really want that now it doesn't matter i'm gonna buy it right like we used to buy Yu-Gi-Oh cards all the time but most of the time it wasn't with our money and so sometimes we would get told no but now that we have that People go out there and buy whatever they want, spending on whatever they want. You know, like now that we have that money and we can spend it, we know because we made it, we're going to spend it. However, that doesn't teach us to be wealthy because now it's like, wait, <laughs> this is this whole dynamic that I want to be wealthy, but I also want to continue to spend on what I want to spend on. That's the, the discipline part that comes into it. Yeah, it's definitely a combination of discipline or frugality. Like these two concepts actually hit harder than any like budgeting book that I've read it's it's so interesting because sure a budgeting book can tell you make sure you do this make sure you do 30% of this this and this and this but it doesn't tap into your core like to help you understand what's going on it's like reading this book has helped me do more is like before I buy something I'm like can I wait before I buy that can I wait until that paycheck comes and then buy it? and then it's just it's just inserting more questions before clicking that purchase button on amazon which is like one click or something like literally one click and then and then it's already subtracting money from <laughs> from your credit card or whatever which is <laughs> yeah. very very easy it's too easy so then uh upon reading this book it made it help or it helped me make it more difficult for me to buy something so easily because now i stop and i'm like okay but do i actually need this and then if the answer is yes it's like okay but can i wait a couple more weeks of paychecks before i buy that which is helpful because now it's developed a behavior in me that i double check myself before i go into debt or something <laughs> before i subtract the uh paycheck <laughs> yeah Something I want to add to this, to, to getting wealthy versus staying wealthy, is also instant gratification versus long-term payout. It, that's something that it doesn't, you know, we don't see often and or and or think about. 
I remember my first job and my very first paycheck. I think I, I blew it on like clothes or something because I was like, dude, yes, I finally am earning my own money. I can spend it on whatever I want versus saving it. In hindsight, of course, if I go back, would I do things differently? Of course. However, knowing what I know now, you know, I, I can justify what I did in the past because it's something I wanted to do, something I loved. But if we wanted to become wealthy now, imagine if you put half of your paycheck while we're living at home, while we're, you know, uh, eating our parents' food, stuff like that. If that was happening, we saved half of our paycheck and put it into something that compounds. And it's an index fund or you open up, you know, a 401k, or sorry, not, you open up in a Roth IRA and continue to add to that. 401k at like eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, you know? So, you know, opening up like a retirement fund then, a Roth IRA, like, and you continue to put in half of your paycheck every single time while we were living with our parents. And again, we did not need that money for anything else. We just continued to save. At this point, we probably have a few hundred thousand dollars, you know, like just putting that into perspective for me now, I'm like, dude, yes. It, was it worth what I spent it on? Mostly, yes. I know sometimes no for me. But <laughs> Mine's mostly no. Mostly no, you know, like all of us like spent it because it felt good to spend that. We didn't think long term, but we, you know, it's very hard to think long term when you're a kid with no worries. What also sucks is that. that we weren't taught what to do with our earned money because to save isn't the same thing as a goal. Know what I'm saying? To to save money doesn't break the reality to you. Like now as we're older, we save because we also plan to spend that later on something bigger, like a vacation or a bachelor party or a wedding or something like that. So then that instills within us our goal to save. This idea of emergency fund as well, but it's hard to tell someone, hey, make sure you have an emergency fund. But then if you don't listen to that rule and then you actually experience something that is an emergency, you're like, crap, I don't have any money to pay, you know? <laughs> and then the realization is, yes, I absolutely need an, an emergency fund. It's really hard to drill that into kids or actually it was hard to drill that into us because it wasn't drilled <laughs> at all it wasn't reiterated it wasn't practiced like that that thought wasn't handed down to us well for me yeah for me i know my parents brought it up often it was actually to save and make sure you save for xyz or whatever and the thing that is hard and we can we can uh, actually go out of order because this plays really well into one of the few other points here but it's hard to save for a surprise as a kid it's also difficult to make room for error and to understand that you'll change because as kids again we want that instant gratification we want the next nice thing because we want to show it off and stuff like that and for me i just didn't understand the concept of saving to prepare for something because a lot of times it'll pop up i'll be like, all right whatever like you know i already spent xyz on being something that i really liked and now this emergencies happen for me i was like i know i can figure it out i know with my paycheck it'll be fine you know like i can do that but saving for a surprise and having room for error is so difficult of a concept to understand. You don't think about bills, you know, you don't have a lot of bills when you're a kid. So you don't think about having to pay, let's say an extra thousand or two for a car because your your tires blew out or, you know, you need a, an oil change and they found something else wrong with their car. Like you don't think about those things, especially because, you know, let's be honest, like we had a bit of a safety net too. Like if we needed to pay those things, our parents would help us with that. Saving for a surprise and then having room for error was so difficult to, to conceptualize. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that ties into budgeting. It's almost like strangely, it's, it's strangely talking about budgeting without mentioning the word budget. <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to budget you know, if you're not disciplined, right? That's the other thing is like practicing discipline early on with your finances is something that I don't think we had. Like we were told not to spend on stupid things, but we weren't. I was still stupid. Yeah, we still did it. You know, games, still like, that was a big part of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> we like, I know for sure I don't have the discipline. Like we talk about it too. Like I, uh, I don't have a gambling problem, but I do <laughs> like um, I don't have a gamble. I think that's what all addicts start their conversations <laughs> in an AA meeting say <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not gonna admit it yet but yeah you know, i like the idea you know it brings a little bit of thrill and i'm not too crazy with my money like i spend what i know i can spend i create i do have like a a, a gambling fund so that's how i don't spend any more than that but hey discipline you know, one of those things discipline, Le discipline learned and applied <laughs> <laughs> you know it's those things that like we 
continue to think about. So actually, for all this, let me say a quote from the book, I believe, that I think beautifully encapsulates this, this topic of surprise, room for error, um, and change. So this is by a, a Stanford professor named Scott Sagan. He once said that things that never happened before happen all the time. Meaning that as much as we want to try to prepare for something, even if it hasn't happened to us, you know, like it's, it's most likely just going to happen. It's difficult to prepare for. And so, you know, every single time that I know I spend money on something, the next day I need that money for something very specific to like fix up or whatever. And so that's why it's kind of funny, like having that margin of safety, margin of safety and room for error is so difficult to, uh, put a definition on for yourself because we're all in different stages of, of financial wealth. And if you have more in, in terms of like, let's say you have a car or two, you have a house, you have a family, your margin or your room for error and your margin of safety. Well, your, I guess your margin of safety specifically might expand because you're like, all right, I have a family. I have so-and-so thing. Like I need to be able to quantify what I need to save in case of emergency for this specific person, for this specific use case, stuff like that. So it does depend on that individual for a room of error. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's this book. It might have been a different financial book that I read, but it's in alignment of you need your save money isn't actually like save money. It's money that you plan to spend later. So it's it's a different, you know, it's a little different shift, but I feel like that's a good enough shift to help you understand that like this money is meant to be spent, but for something that you want later, like want to look after. So you're thinking about margin of safety. So you're thinking about your family. You're thinking about maybe you lose your job. So then you need an emergency fund or you're thinking about your car might break down. So then you start saving for your car repairs or a new car you know it's when you look at it from the perspective of okay i'm gonna spend this later what do you need to spend it on so then you it's easier to save that way i think what do you think yeah yeah that shift in mindset is actually pretty powerful uh, i i don't remember if it's in the book or not but i love that i really truly do because <laughs> let's be honest we're big spenders it, it's, it's <laughs> we love sure i'm still spending i'm not <laughs> I, I am for sure. Like, I love to, like, I hate that I can't save. It's true. It really is. You know, as much as I try, I see so many opportunities to continue to use that money for something else that either brings me joy or is an opportunity to create more money. That's the whole gambling game, but like also in the stock market, right? The only way you can get dividends and stuff is that you purchase a stock and then, you know, you have to purchase a number of stock for it to compound infinite, uh, you know, compound enough for it to be worth it, you know, build out the dividends and stuff like that. So I find that very fascinating because uh, Graham Stephan, what is it? Graham Stephan? No, Stephan YouTube Graham. guy? Uh, yeah, YouTube guy. I think it's Graham um, Stephan. So he's fascinating because when he makes money, he says that he doesn't save either. He spends it on stock. He spends it on buying more real estate. That's his savings is that he has all these assets that continue to compound interest, that continue to build more money. And the thing is, like, he's he's a big spender too. And the fact that he continues to spend, he may have a savings. He spends it on stuff that continues to... Wow, you kind of just brought something up in mind. The assets thing is very interesting. It's almost like... <laughs> All the rich people are saving money, not because they're saving money in the bank account. It's that they save their money in asset form. So like it's still worth whatever money that they saved up, but also more because it's generating is a money machine. <laughs> yeah. And then the actual money in the bank account is just spending money that they're going to spend later. It's like, oh, okay, I need this readily available because I'm about to buy a yacht <laughs> yeah. or, or go on vacation, you know smaller stuff for us plebes <laughs> yeah, for, for us little uh, peasants here but the, like that's a very good thing to bring up because it doesn't talk about it in this book however rich people do buy assets you know it, it, we talk about it in rich dad poor dad rich people buy assets because having money in the bank saved up um, savings account is like kind of interesting but if it's just in a checking account and it's doing nothing you're saving it for like doing nothing, it's technically you losing money because you could have that do something else. Again, if you put your money into, again, your 401k, if you have one or a Roth IRA continuously, or even a health savings account, an HSA, instead of putting that money in just like a checkings account and you're saving it there, again, that money will continue to work for you overnight. It will continue to generate more money. And then the idea of buying assets. So 
rich people, again, try not to buy anything that depreciates like a car or whatever, or yachts or a plane, unless they're able to write it off as a tax, um, uh, was it a, a tax write off? They buy it. They buy stuff like art, you know, because if you buy a piece of art, most of the time it'll only go up in value. Uh, I saw a video recently of Eddie Murphy. He has a very priceless piece of art uh, in one of his movies. And I wish I could remember the details of it, but he had bought that piece of art for like, I think 160,000 at the time. Now the duplicate, the one other duplicate of it went for like, uh, if I remember right, like $16 million. What? Meaning that his genuine piece, his genuine piece of art is worth more than $16 million. That's crazy. <laughs> that is, I'll send you the video if I can find it. I might be getting the numbers wrong a little bit, but it's something crazy like that where he bought it for, again, for us an insane amount of money. But because it's a priceless piece of art, it's worth even more than that, dude. He, he found himself the Mona Lisa <laughs> of paint. <laughs> Damn, dude, that's, yeah, that's crazy. I'm trying to spend money on myself so that I become this priceless piece of art. <laughs> you could. And here's the thing. I, I think you bring up a very good point is spending money on yourself so that you also build up knowledge is remember that even if we are poor, right, and we have nothing at all, the thing you can continue to invest in is yourself. The more knowledge you build up, the more experience and then the more failures you accept continue to bring uh, value to you. And then ultimately what I believe is a magnet for positive momentum. It's something that a book that I'm uh, reading right now or listening to, it's called Happy Money. Happy Money is something, again, it's just how you view money and, and the fact that you have a good working relationship with your money. You're not, you don't think that money is just a, a tool to be used to spend, right? It's something that helps you build a business. It helps you continue a relationship. It helps you, again, just be a better person, which is a very fascinating uh, concept. In this case, it's like, again, building that relationship with money. So that way you're able to view it as something that's like, uh, that you're thankful to have. Not only are you thankful to receive money, but you're also thankful that you were able to spend this money and that it was able to provide a value for you. Like to me, that was such a monumental shift in mindset to, to really understand like money is just a piece of paper. There's technically an infinite amount of it. The only barrier for most people is that we have a job and we keep to just that job. And a job is again, just a you know, you're just getting a finite amount of money every single week or two or whatever it is. However, if you use that money in assets and other stuff and you expand your knowledge to what you can spend money on for it to create more money, you only open up your possibilities. And again, I believe it's a magnet. I mentioned before, you continue to build up opportunities. You open yourself up to more paths. More paths are going to, you know, attract more people, more resources, compounding effect. It doesn't, you know, the compounding effect doesn't apply to just money itself but it applies to energy it applies to uh the amount of uh wealth that you put out there like let's say in, in terms of your positive energy stuff like that like it compounds for sure and it's it brings back brings us back to the human potential like the beginning of that whole thing is you investing your investing in yourself increases your potential and i forgot where i heard this quote from but it's like if you learn from your mistakes it's an investment if you don't learn from your mistakes, it's just, you know, you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're depriving yourself of truly learning because I know so many people who are afraid to fail. They're so scared to like go out there and try something new or different because they don't think they can. And that is such a devastating mindset to be a part of. We all fail. We've all done it before. We've all tripped and fall. And what do we do? We have to pick yourself back up. You know, you pick yourself back up and you keep moving forward. Now you remember, like, don't fall in that crack again. And that's why it's so important. And just really quick, like, this ties into one of the other points I wanted to bring up is... Wait, hold on. I have so many and... things to say before we move on <laughs> to the next thing. So Okay, okay. Go ahead. So in the same vein of, like, learning and growing. So right now, I'm currently, like, learning a ton of stuff because my supervisor is leaving and then he wants to he wants to thrust me into this new position of being a supervisor i don't actually want to be the supervisor but i'm also taking advantage of like i'm just learning everything and like it's what's opening up for me is that i'm realizing how much potential i have and that's 
also why I don't want the supervisor job because I feel like I can achieve more and actually reach a value that I feel that I can accept rather than get like a $2 raise or something like that, <laughs> which is, yeah. I feel undervalued at, you know, a $2 raise. But like, it's crazy because the whole pursuit of investing in yourself and then growing is opening up my mind even more. And back to the, uh, you were talking about how some people are afraid. Right now, I am afraid because when the CEO told me, so it was my birthday on uh, January 18th, and I had this quick brief run-in with the CEO. The CEO was like, hey, happy birthday. And then I was like, oh yeah, thanks, man. And he's like, so are are you going to like have a dinner or something? Got anything planned? And I was like, you know what? Actually, I already had dinner with my parents and my brother on January 1st. And then the CEO was like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, maybe we should change your birthday to January 1st next year. And he said that as like a very, you know, just uh, just well-intentioned kind of a joke thing and then like walked off. But in my mind, he like shocked something in me. He made me very, very afraid because I do not want to be stuck at this job for another year. <laughs> and ever since then, I've been so damn afraid that like I have so much energy, like creative well, so much energy that I poured it into different, well, so far it's actually creative outlets. So like we immediately jumped into this podcast on a whim. <laughs> yeah. And it's now kind of crazy how fast we do this. <laughs> yeah. This would mark the month actually. This would this weekend is this is us doing this for a month. But also like I'm so afraid that like I poured I, I like got this newfound energy and I'm investing more into myself and we're we're doing so much for this podcast one and then other ventures where i'm trying to like figure out how to edit better how to do more videos and like learn more about editing so that maybe that could be my next venture in in replacing my income because i think that that has higher potential in pay <laughs> yeah. i want to make a lot more money but also let that value match up with me does that make sense yeah yeah so you have the how much you value yourself is what you're striving towards to achieve in that again you let's just say you know you, you value yourself at a million dollars and now you have the momentum the spark to try to get there and create that million dollars for yourself like it's super fascinating because that's the that's the mindset of an entrepreneur right a lot of people believe in themselves they value themselves at a certain price and this is what i was talking about with the um the the law of attraction because you value yourself so high let's just say the universe is giving you opportunities right and again in this case like you're presented with a with a chance to get promoted to supervisor, which is hilarious because again, it's an opportunity, but you don't align yourself with that kind of opportunity because it's not the kind of level at what you value yourself. It's crazy because you mentioned earlier about attachment and I was going to bring this back earlier, but now's as good as time as any. And like, I don't have an attachment to this job. Therefore, like if I still had that attachment to this job, I would I would continue suffering at this job and then not have that value meet me at my level and be appreciated for it, you know? So it's also, it's, it's cool and not cool. I feel bad that I'm going to cut ties or turn that position down, but I also don't feel bad because I'm realizing my potential and therefore it's like, I can do more. <laughs> 100%. That's what I hope people realize too. And here's, here's the concept uh, that we're going to talk about next is tells you when. It's interesting we can use you as an example because i know your background and i'll i'll you know apply some of mine as well but essentially tells you when is, is a numbers game and all your opportunities are technically 50 and as crazy as that sounds it's because you are always presented with opportunities is whether or not you accept them that this is also uh, it also brings up the point of failures right no matter what you try to do you you most likely will fail the first time maybe not the second or third but you will continually fail it's normal in life and that's the one catalyst in my opinion that will propel you forward the fastest because when you fail you learn so much more from if you do it correctly the first time you might forget how you did it or you might get used to the fact that you do it well and you cannot improve however when you fail you're going to try again and that's when you increase your chances for me a quick story is that it was very difficult for me to find a job the last two that I found has really propelled my career forward. However, before that, it was a numbers game for me. So there was one time, uh, you know, I lived in an apartment with my then girlfriend, now wife, and it was a struggle. Like we, 
you know, at the time I was in between jobs, you know, at first I was serving and I didn't want to serve anymore because I knew, you know, my potential in IT, I can do a lot more. I can make a lot more. So I, you know, I took a chance and tried to do a bunch of that. You know, I was actually out of the job for a while after I quit the serving one because I thought I could get a job out of it. That wasn't the case. However, I did to, I did always apply to at least five to 10 applications a day, a day. And that carried on, I think it was about two, three months. And I would probably get a call, you know, like, so I always tell people like out of the hundred applications I sent out, 10 of them probably got, you know, 20 of them reached back out to me, 10 of them rejected me, 10 of them accepted me. Out of the 10, you know, I probably had seven interviews. Those other ones ghosted me. But out of the seven interviews, probably all, you know, six rejected me and one accepted me. So that's the crazy story is like out of the, I think if I look back on my, so I get a log of all of them. I think it was like 123 applications that I applied to within a month. Only one said yes. And that one was the one that I committed myself to, you know, like I stayed there for two and a half years. That's the longest I've ever stayed at a company. And from there, I was able to continually compound what I made. So at the time uh, I was offered, I think it was 70, no, sorry, 47. So $47,500. And then, you know, I went into a different position there and got paid 57. From there, I, I utilized that, found a new job. And I was like, all right, this is, you know, going to pay way more at 70,000. Yes. I'm then I continued to use that to leverage it and then you know found a job that paid ninety five thousand and now again I'm getting paid ninety nine thousand so all that to say you create your own opportunities you're gonna get a lot of rejections you're gonna fail a lot but the more opportunities you give yourself the more uh the, the better chances of of you achieving your goal dude I like that because you're like the opposite of of me at that same stage in mindset it's when you brought up opportunity I was like damn I was closing myself off from opportunity and therefore that has created or put me put myself i did this to myself put myself in this situation of struggling (laughs) where i do have a job where i don't have that same level of um, increasing my salary by 10k per year you know that's a really shitty situation (laughs) when you close your opportunity or closing the doors on opportunities to move forward and better your situation because I was kind of just hopped on this idea or hope and dreams of making it as an actor before ever actually needing to think about career or like, can I call it a career? If I, yes, yeah. it's call it a career. <laughs> but that didn't actually happen, you know? So like, cause I'm not a successful actor. I'm not making money as, a, as an actor. Now I screwed myself over in um, creating an ability for me to make more money in, in the day job to help me better my lifestyle or whatever. So, you know, yeah. just take it from two different examples here. <laughs> Here's the important thing that actually both of you and I can compare and like that we both did is that we took a leap of faith and we took a leap of faith in you know, two different fields, admittedly. So we both gained experience before this, correct? Like you went to classes, you, you tried a lot of different things to gain acting experience. Then you took the leap of faith to like really pursue it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish it was as easy as tech, though. Like, it's crazy because when we talk about failure and then failing as an actor, it's it's like you fail to improve. Yes. But then you also have you're under the lens of another person's opinions of whether what your performance was good or not, or was it authentic? So it's, it's this whole self internal analysis thing that is very, very oftentimes frustrating. In fact, I'm still frustrated. <laughs> That's what. That's maybe the reason why my coworker thinks I'm annoyed all the time. But <laughs> different conversation. Different. <laughs> but like, it is an investment, and like, you know, maybe one of these days, or maybe this year, I'll start popping off as an actor. But what I'm trying to get at is that, like, I closed the doors to other opportunities. Had I left that door open maybe sure i still fail in the in regards to acting and not ever making it but i succeed in pursuing pursuing these other opportunities that allow me to make more money and better my lifestyle or better my finances of course maybe we not we may not have reached this level of creating this podcast <laughs> who knows maybe we still do but in a different lifetime but in this moment is more so like wow I took the opposite approach of closing myself off. <laughs> yeah. 
And here's the thing that I want to, again, I'm trying to just put a positive spin on it, but mainly that we took a leap of faith. And when you take a leap of faith, you leave things behind. But again, you left a lot of opportunities behind and that's okay because you, you know, you failed your failures and you're continuing to learn. And the same thing, I was actually just about to say the, the same thing is like, when you take a leap of faith, you, you know, you plunge yourself into the depths of unknown. That only is still you going forward. And again, you just took a whole different path. And now we're here again, like maybe we could have had a podcast back then, but I don't think we would have had the same stories. All the same, <laughs> we took a leap of faith. I took a different path and, you know, built on my connections and stuff. And like, you I'll give you tech. a part of positive spin after this, you know, <laughs> Uh, so in tech and whatever, you know, during that time when I was reaching out or no, so all the times when I was like applying to places and I had that 120 something applications, I also tried to create my own opportunities and I reached out to them specifically. So during that time, I learned rejection. During that time, I also learned how to market myself better. And I continued to learn more and more and more. Same thing with you. Like you were learning a lot more and more and more about yourself. And, you know, it was hard. It was very difficult a lot of times. And still, like we are here now because of those. I'll let you go ahead and do your <laughs> My positive spin on the whole, whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, once I started to open up the doors of opportunity, that's when I was like, all right, fine. I'm willing to learn now. Uh, learn now, not in regards to acting. Of course, that's that's still open. But what was closed off was me wanting to excel at whatever career I was pursuing at that time. That was just a day job. So now that the doors have been opened, uh, now that I opened the doors, that's how <laughs> I freaking put myself in a position of maybe possibly be becoming the supervisor, which thus kind of made me realize how much potential I had the whole time, but then didn't pursue that potential. So it's kind of interesting now because then back then being a supervisor would have been cool, I guess. But now, now that I'm in the position where I can take it, I don't want it. And I kind of want to excel in other regards prior to being asked to be the supervisor. <laughs> that way I can just quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I say that I mean, as if it's heartless. <laughs> <laughs> I say it as if it's heartless, but it's like, no, I do feel bad. But at the same time, back to what we were saying before. No one's going to take care of you as well as you are going to take care of yourself. So like, I, I want a superhero moment in my brain, <laughs> this imagination. I want this moment of like the, the boss man is like, hey, Kevin, do you want to be the supervisor? We'll give you a raise. And then I want to just stand there confidently and just be like, you can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my superhero moment. I don't know if it's going to be attained. But... Do you know what I mean? That'd be kind of cool because yeah. like there's no way they're going to give me like a $10 raise. It's just impossible. No, for the industry that I'm in, there's no way. Yeah. And that's actually the funny thing is like you're, this is the seduction of pessimism is what you're doing. It's another topic. So this is a perfect segue to this. You're already denying yourself the fact to ask. And I, I feel like you're going to do it anyway. And my advice is also to ask. Right. You hate the fact that, you know, like versus they can say no and they'll offer you something else. But you already implanted what you value yourself at. If you ask for a ten dollar raise, it'd be like, I know the amount of stress this goes into. I've talked to so and so because we're transparent <laughs> about the workload and about the salary that he was making. I know for a fact that I would need this amount of money to accomplish these responsibilities. I would say like you should ask for a lot because you know if anything, they'll might meet you in the middle. All right. Cause like your cutoff point could be like, Yeah, I'm okay with four dollars you know a four dollar increase Shoot for I'm, 10. Asked for, I'm gonna ask for 10 because i might get a seven dollar that's what you should always you know think about is like shoot for higher because they might say no but you also give them the value that you expect yeah yeah it's almost like kind of you got to teach teach people how to treat you you know and, and some Ooh. it's kind of like a similar similar concept because like so i look really young so therefore even <laughs> even my current supervisor he mentioned this when he was kind of like giving me that talk of of all right i'm gonna chain you if you do choose to become the supervisor, I also want to help you or make sure you know everything. That way you garner respect. And when he mentioned that, I was like, damn, there, there is kind of like a hindrance in looking young because <laughs> I don't have respect from people who think I'm young. So did I mention to you that someone thinks that I look like I'm 18? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I look 18 and I'm older than that. And <laughs> yeah, almost. Well, yeah, you're 10 years older. <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> 
but like it sucks because then I don't garner respect or whatever like that. So so thus leads me to that concept of you. I need to command. So like I butt heads with like the partner and not so often the CEO, but I do speak up about like ideas and stuff like that. I don't um, I don't want to give away my ideas for free anymore. It's I feel like I'm being taken advantage of or I'm letting myself be exploited or I'm self exploiting myself and I'm not getting paid for it or finding value in what I offer. Yeah, yeah. That's like the, <laughs> again, it's, I love this because it's the pessimism in you and that, again, they don't value the same way you value yourself. And that's, I love how you put it because you have to teach them or really command their respect because of it. And again, I hope you continue to push for what you think you deserve. So do do ask for 12. Fuck it. Ask for 12. <laughs> Like, cause you have that background, you have the knowledge to be like, I know the, the workload, this, I know, like I can do it as well. I can excel at it because I've had this training. I know his value or you know, I, I know his views, what he's done to be successful in this role. I know I can excel it. You know, I have ideas, but this is the amount that I would want to be able to incorporate those ideas or to really push the boundaries of what we can be doing in this space. Um, and so, you know, the seduction of pessimism is so easy to think about for a lot of people because, again, we're used to rejection, but we use rejection in the fact that, oh, like, oh, I'm not going to get this thing. I'm not going to get raised. I'm not going to get promotion. That's not the kind of rejection. That's not how you should play off a rejection. When you get rejected, you should ask why. Then you can either work on making that a yes, or you can retrospect and figure out is it me or is it the other party that's why it's important to realize like when you get rejected whether again it's asking for a promotion or a relationship or whatever do you have to look inward or do you have to look outward and if you truly believe in this case for yourself that you know you're optimistic that you can do the job well that you should be paid this much because you value yourself how you break out of pessimism right you have to shift that mindset too instead of saying no they they they'll say no They'll say, no, they only value me at this much, whatever. Continue to talk to yourself today to say that I value myself this high. If they can't afford me, then I know I shouldn't be moving, right? And then you find opportunities to move on. And so, you know, stop saying that they won't do it. Start saying that you deserve better. Those are the two different mindsets that I think breaks out of the seduction of pessimism. I'm too comfortable being rejected, you know, as... <laughs> I'm just so used to getting rejected. It's like a hundred percent. That's kind of a lot. <laughs> but what do you do with that rejection? Bro? <laughs> I, I garnish it into pure pessimism. <laughs> I synthesize it into just pure. <laughs> I have the purest form of pessimism. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So then, I think uh, I think this would be a really good segue to our last one. <laughs> you have anything else to say about pessimism? Uh, pessimism. Yeah, I mean, like I put the section in there because it's it's everything what you said is just hitting me from the core because it is what I deal with. It is, I mean, acting is a pure rejection. <laughs> well, mostly in my case, other people are, are making it. But <laughs> <laughs> of the many or handful of auditions that I've had, no callback or anything like that. So it's a combination of rejection, but also like, hey, I, need, I still need to get better at acting. I still need to do my best, be a better performer and kind of like dissect my previous performances, how to do it better, which is difficult because then it is watching yourself physically and emotionally and asking, oh yeah, is that the character? Do you believe it? You know, <laughs> even though we were, we were judging like that movie before, before this episode. <laughs> it's a it's a tough craft so like i will i will definitely be in that seat of of criticism when i do book something and people do get to see me on screen and they can say the same thing so i don't know one day that was optimism right there i love optimism see you're learning, you're learning fast <laughs> so because quick. the last topic i want to talk about uh, talk about is when you'll believe anything specifically the stories you tell yourself because stories are powerful force especially in the economy and stuff like that it's a powerful force to ideas influence each other influence the art of selling even because we all know like news outlets for example they play on stories they play on narratives to push their agenda and there's there's probably none like there are no news outlets out there that are that can be unbiased that can be you know bipartisan or whatever it's it's impossible especially when they're owned by big money big money that's a different topic but <laughs> either way they cannot be unbiased same thing for yourself like it's so hard to 
be unbiased against yourself. And I have this too. I think you and I are working on, uh, are working on slowly on being on stop being so self deprecating on ourselves because now we're getting, we're in this, we're in this momentum train achieving and accomplishing so much in the month. Again, we started this podcast a month ago and we've been dishing out two, three, maybe four episodes a week. And we realized and we, we found out that the average podcast probably does one episode every other week. So now once a month, man, once a month, even. Yeah. Yeah. Once a month is like the, the big thing for us is like, we were trying to dish out so many episodes because we had to, we thought we had to catch up. But thing is, we're like excelling. We're, we're like, <laughs> we're being in the game with these numbers and like creating again, more opportunities for you guys to listen to hopefully our stories or some good content and that's what we want to do and we're telling ourselves that we can do these things because we are doing it and we will do it so you know hopefully we bring better content for at you soon uh specifically you know video we're working on that we're, we're you know we're slowly building things out at a very accelerated hopefully that makes sense <laughs> we're taking a light jog a brisk jog <laughs> But it's on a treadmill. <laughs> it's on a treadmill. Oh, man, that means we're stuck in place. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, Yeah, it is pretty cool to see how much we've achieved so far and using it as positive momentum, not just for the podcast, but everywhere else in our life. So, you know, it is kind of cool to see that it is translating through my work at my day job. And we'll see where it takes me in a month. <laughs> and then we'll see where this podcast can go in another month, you know yeah yeah it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be crazy and like again it's important that we tell the stories about ourselves that put ourselves in a good light it's something that i'm continuing to do on a more of a, a mental aspect you know like a, telling myself positive things so that way i understand that i can make an impact i do make an impact and i will make an impact and continuing to move forward and it's for me i'm also a very like data driven or very visual person so to see our numbers go up on the podcast is so meaningful to me specifically because it means that what we're doing is attractive it, it's it's on pace to generate more momentum for us uh and that what we're doing matters to people for the most part or that they are willing to listen to what we have to say even though we're just two random dudes you know <laughs> like <laughs> talking about our opinions about certain things but we know now that we can achieve so much more than we thought we could yeah it's insane and like i actually enjoy looking at our analytics for the podcast more than the stock market because <laughs> my portfolio is so so red <laughs> It's it's rough out there. You it's, know, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm down so much. <laughs> but hey, you have assets and they'll go up. <laughs> you know, like, that's what the you market say. <laughs> that's, that's the, the idea. Market's you got to think positive, optimistic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to touch on? Oh, man. I don't. Not at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so my, brain, my brain's kind of fried. We love making this stuff honestly and you know the more we talk about it you know whether it's topics of tv shows that we watch or books that we read like we really enjoy it and hopefully we're making good content for you all let us know your thoughts you know whenever we get social media out there or you can email us either way like we appreciate you guys so much for validating that what we're doing we can <laughs> that we can do what we think we're doing indeed what yeah. you said <laughs> everything so, you said so nice <laughs> That's it for the episode. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Hopefully we didn't talk your ear off so much. And I truly hope that you learned something from this episode. There, This book, Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, very impactful. I recommend everyone read it to understand your views on money and what you might be able to shift a little bit. 100% great read. It might, it's just very well written, very Agreed. easy to understand. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I guess that's it for this episode as we discuss and discuss the psychology of money. Uh, I've been Derek. I've been Kevin. Oh, well, hopefully you stick around as we ship out more content. But uh, thanks again. Uh, bye. Bye.